great day today. We were blessed a few months ago uh, by having a family that has come to join us. They're a military family. Uh, I had introduced you to uh, Major Jason Forte and his family, his wife Chris and their kids. And uh, because I have a son-in-law in the military, I understand that military families, when they make a move, have to make a decision to dive in instantly to a church and be a part of it because uh, their lives are here for a while and then they're off for a while and they move someplace else. And, and uh, the Forte family has, has dove right into the life of Grace Assembly. And uh, there are times when I've had to complain because I've, I've been weary after preaching two services on Sunday morning. And I understand that Jason has had to preach as many as seven on a Sunday in Afghanistan. So, uh, so we have different ideas of what it means to have energy. But I would like you to welcome to our pulpit today Major Jason Forte, chaplain in the U.S. Army, as he brings forth the word today. That's good. Uh, I told Pastor he's making me tear up. I think it's allergies. It's good to be here in Syracuse. We, uh, we're really excited about what the Lord is doing in our family here, and we're not so excited about some other things. Um, so I want to talk about that up front. One of those being is snow. So we just moved here from the state of Hawaii. and uh, here, Here's what I don't want to hear after this service. Oh, it's only just begun. I don't care. So what, what we were told when we moved here is that it snows. Um, and then we were assured that Alaska comes to Syracuse to learn how to clear snow, and I was thankful for that. But I'm for certain that Alaska does not come to my apartment complex to learn how to clear snow. And so last week when we got our 12, 18, 62 inches, whatever it was, I was excited. And I got up at 4.30 in the morning, and I said, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to shovel this snow. At 8.30, my kids came out and they said, Dad, what are you doing? And I said, I'm helping dig people out so they can go to work. I don't have to go to work today. And, and my daughter said, are you going to do this every time it snows? <laughs> a man looked at me and he goes, you know it does this two or three times a week, right? <laughs> and uh, I dug eight people out. <laughs> and they were like, you don't have to do this. Like, we, we don't help each other here. Like, <laughs> we... We all have snow. You get it? So I went inside and, and I declared to my wife that I was going to buy a snowblower. And she said, Jason, the people clear the snow for us. That's part of living in this apartment complex. And I said, they didn't do it soon enough. She goes, did you have to be anywhere? No, but I was up at 4.30 shoveling snow because I want to. Don't destroy my bubble and, and make me think that it's going to happen this Wednesday night, as the weather says. There are a few other things about Syracuse that are puzzling to me. Uh, one of them is that there seems to be a little bit of a language barrier uh, between my southern accent and anybody taking any order at any restaurant. <laughs> so the other day my wife said, would you go through Starbucks and, and get me some coffee? And I said, sure. And she doesn't drink milk, so I knew she wanted almond milk. And so I went in and I said, I want whatever she said with almond milk. And the lady said, excuse me? And I said, almond milk. And she said, sir, we have almond milk, we have coconut milk, and we have regular milk. And I said, almond milk. And she said, pardon me, sir, I don't understand what you're saying. And I said, well, what types of milk do you have? 
and she said, we have almond milk. I said, that one. <laughs> the, the first week we were here at the university, there's a Chipotle there, and, and I went in, and I, I was ordering what I get. It's a little salad with double steak and uh, mild and corn. Mark, remember that? I'd like you to bring that to me at some day. <laughs> And I'm going through the line, and the lady said, would you like anything else? And I said, I would like a little bit of cheese. And she took the spoon and dipped a huge thing of sour cream onto my salad. And I said, no, no, that's, I don't want sour cream. She said, you just said you wanted sour cream. I said, no, I want cheese. She said, no, you want sour cream. See, you just said it again. <laughs> and, and I didn't understand what was going on, and so I'm working through that. Um, so bear with me this morning. You know, Chris and I have, uh, she's downstairs teaching in the four-year-old class. Well, let me tell you about my family. Chris and I have been married for 17 years. Um, we have a daughter, Gianna, who will be 15 sometime in the next week. Can't remember the exact day. <laughs> and then we have a set of twins that are 10. They're girls as well. And then we have Leo, who is six. You can't miss Leo. He has white hair. And uh, he's probably disrupting something downstairs right now. Uh, don't shake your head. That's rude. <laughs> Children's workers. What, who lets them come to church? Leo's down. <laughs> he, went, he went, yeah, he is. I'm like, wow, buddy. Could have pulled me aside and told me that. I'm just kidding. And then we have another set of twins, Elisa and Karina. They're two. They're downstairs. Chris and I have been married 17 years. We are living now in New York State, our eighth state together. Um, and I've lived in four or five others without her, not another woman, just before I was married. <laughs> and two of those states we lived twice in, so we've moved quite a bit. We counted up the other day, I believe we're on our 17th house in 17 years. Uh, and, and to be honest with you, and I, I want to be a little bit vulnerable, uh, it's not a whole lot of fun. Uh, and I'm not asking for pity today, especially for me, because I told uh, the first service that when I'm deployed or I'm off doing training, I'm, frankly, I'm taken care of. Uh, when we move, everybody's there to receive me. Here comes the new chaplain. We want to make sure he's good. But sometimes our families are, are left kind of blowing in the wind. Uh, when we got to our first assignment, I raised my right hand, said, I will, or I do, took my oath of office. And five weeks later, I was in Kuwait and on my way to Iraq. Chris didn't even know how to get on the military installation. Uh, but it was an Assemblies of God church that kind of took her under their wing and took care of her and our children while I was gone. We only had three at the time. And so I, I want to take a moment and I want to thank you because coming to this program at Syracuse University where I have no responsibilities work-wise except go to school and I'm doing pretty well. So far, nothing below a B minus. <laughs> In the bottom fourth of my class, but <laughs> I'm still doing okay. Uh, but coming to this program, we decided that we're, we're going to find a church. And in finding a church, I simply did probably what you would do. And, and keep in mind, for 21 years, I'll be 21 years in ministry uh, December this year. For 21 years, I didn't have to find a church because I worked there. And so I had to put myself in, in some of your shoes and go and find a church. So I did what you do. I went to the websites uh, around town, and I just picked the best-looking pastor, and I said, we're going there. <laughs> in all honesty... <laughs> I did look at your picture, and I said, he looks all right. <laughs> no, seriously, I, I did probably what everyone else did. There's some media on the website, and I went and listened, and, and uh, I listened to what Pastor was saying, and, and I listened to more than one service. 
uh, because it's important that, that when you go to a church, and if this is your first time, come back again because I, I don't represent what uh, <laughs> the sayings coming from this pulpit are not the sayings of the pastor. So come again. But I listened to some sermons, and I went into my house. I put my foot down, and I said, honey, we're going to that church. And she said, Jason, you better pick that foot up because you don't wear the pants in this house. <laughs> so I got her to agree that we would come three Sundays in a row. All the time she was saying, I, I think we should try this church. And I don't even know the church's name. I, didn't, I really didn't. I just knew the church was here. Found out later it's called Grace Assembly of God. But she came, and the first Sunday she looked at me, and she said, um, you were right. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> and she said, don't play games. But we, we ended up deciding that we were going to come here. And, and I want to thank you because... Um, Many of you have been in the shoes that, that our family is in now where we're, we're basically migrants around the country. But I want to thank you because you have wrapped your arms around my family. When you talk about church and you talk about love, it has nothing to do with what's set up here. It has to do with what's done out there. And from the moment we came in and got our first handshake and sat down, talked with people and ate the pizza at the welcome deal pastor took us out to eat. Thank you for doing that. It's about time again, too. <laughs> you said something about gift cards. I don't, I don't know. But from the moment that we came into this church, you're doing something that the army can never do for us. Because I believe a military chapel is parachurch. It helps the church. It's a, it's a moment in time, 20 years for some people, two years for others, where you go and you learn things about God, but it's not your church. And you go back to your church, and there you're planning, you work, and you raise your family. And some people raise their family in the military, and you have this second culture, uh, kids of the military. But from the moment we walked in this door, our children have been in love with the gospel and what God is doing in this church. Now, you may be sitting out there thinking, well, you'll only be here a year, so we can't make that big of an impact. You're making a huge impact. A huge impact. And if you will show the love that you've shown my family to the city of Syracuse... We're already busting at the seams, but the next building's not going to be big enough either. And it's not about numbers. It's not about how many people you can crowd into a trunk or treat or whatever had to be canceled because the fire code came in and said, can't do this anymore. I remember that sermon. I listen. <laughs> it's not about any of those things. It's about loving people. And when we get into the gospel or the, the epistle today, Paul's epistle to the church at Philippi, you're going to see that. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you do for our family, and that was not the sermon, so start the time now. <laughs> Turn with me to uh, Paul's epistle to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 2. It'll be up on the screen too. But I want to back up a couple of scriptures. I want to give you some background, let you know what is going on uh, in this writing, what's going on in the day. And anytime you're studying the Word of God, you want to know exactly what's happening, what we would call contextually. What's going on in the culture? Uh, what are the, the major events that are taking place? And, and honestly, there are enough tools out there. You want to go and see what the original writer meant by what he said and not what some in, uh, translator said 500 years ago that may or may not be the right word. There, soapbox over. Philippians chapter 2, if you'll back up a couple of uh, verses to, to chapter 1, verse 29. Paul says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, 
and now here that I still have. Paul is simply saying that Christ came and he's coming to liberate us and set us free, but there will be persecution and there will be suffering. So what do you need to know about this letter that Paul is writing? He's writing it from jail. So here's a man that was a staunch Jew, a Pharisee, who went and he began to persecute Christians. He has an experience uh, on the road and he comes to Christ and all of a sudden he turns around and he becomes the forerunner of what is to come as the church as we have it today. He's preaching the gospel. He's thrown in jail several times and he's saying, you're going to suffer just like I'm suffering. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Can I tell you something today? The church in America is not representative of what the church around the world is seeing and doing. We are very comfortable. We didn't have to go through an arm checkpoint today to, to get here. We have our padded pews. We're not going to go home and hide. We're not tearing one page of scripture and dividing it amongst ourselves just so we can hold on to some uh, semblance of the word of God. What we have in America today is very easy. Oh, but Jason, on the news, they say this and say that. Yes, and I believe that persecution will come to America. I don't think that American the American church is going to be this great bubbly thing that's always taking place. The question is, can we grasp the name of Jesus and do as Paul has instructed us and live in the suffering just as he's lived? So at this time, Paul had planted the church about 10 years ago. He's in uh, prison. We believe he was in Rome. Some people say he was in Caesarea. Others say he was in Ephesus. But we're going to go with Rome today because the most evidence uh, points to that. So he's in Rome. He's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And the unique thing about the church of Philippi is that it kind of parallels my assessment of grace. It was a healthy church. That's where the pastors say amen. Amen. The church at Philippi was a place that Paul was proud of. It was a place that he was simply writing and saying, thank you for all you've done for me. If you read chapter 1, he, he basically says, thanks for supporting me on my missionary journeys and while I'm here and sending people to me to check on me and take care of me. Thank you for that. And then he goes on to say, but you're going to suffer and you need to grab a hold of this. So let's go into chapter 2. He says in verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ... That word encouragement is the same word in the Greek that we get the word uh, paraclete that John uses to describe the Holy Spirit, which simply means comforter. If there's any comfort in Christ, any comfort from love, the agape love that we've read about, the unconditional, I'm willing to give everything away so that I can love you more than I love myself. He's talking about Jesus. Any participation in the Spirit, any fellowship that we have, any affection and sympathy. So here it is again. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and then he gives a command, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Here's a man in jail saying, if you can remember Christ, complete my joy and be of the same mind. Meaning, everybody get on the same page and let's love one another. Let's have fellowship. Let's comfort one another. Let's take our sympathies and our affection for one another so deep that we can feel it intrinsically inside who we are. Amen, Jason. That was good. <laughs> Complete my... Did I tell y'all I'm from Arkansas? I know you're probably going, we can tell you're from the South, but I'm from Arkansas. Proud of it, too. Although our football team only won two games this year, and they were against junior colleges. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Everybody get together. 
Then verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Love people before you love yourself. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So Paul is basically saying, this is the application. We're going to get to the meat in just a moment. I know that's backwards, but I'm preaching today. He's basically saying that if you want to have fullness of Christ, then you've got to get together. You've got to love one another, just like you've loved my family in the few months that we've been here. You've got to be of one accord. You've got to go out and help one another. You've got to put others above yourself. That's how you stay with the mind of Christ and as one mind in the church. That's a hard word, though. And then Paul moves into what I really want to talk about today because in order to do that, we have to understand how powerful the name of Jesus is. So Paul moves into what would be considered a hymn, a hymn that the church, the early church would understand. It would be like something maybe that we sang today that, well, let's call it Shout to the Lord. Everybody knows that, right? It's an anthem of the last however many decades. So it's kind of the shout to the Lord of the day. We're going to sing about Jesus and who he is. And Paul begins to write this out to remind the church at, at Philippi who Christ is. And he says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being fond in human uh, found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Pretty powerful stuff. In fact, if you come to the Bible study on uh, Wednesday nights with uh, Pastor Larry, you would know that that's the third doctrine, part of the third doctrine of the Assemblies of God, the doctrine of kenosis, that Christ is going to come and he's going to empty himself out of all his royalty and all of his deity so that he can become God and man, known as hypostatic union. Isn't that fun? Don't you want to go to seminary? <laughs> but here's some things that I thought were interesting. He says in verse 6, who though was in the form of God. Do you remember the scripture John 1? In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and Jesus is that word. So Jesus was in the beginning. So he had the form of God. He was God himself. Now the Trinity is a difficult thing to sometimes comprehend and wrap your mind around. But if you'll just remember that the three persons of the Trinity were God, one God. Jesus was there in the beginning, so he had the form of God. Do you understand what that means? So when he came down to earth, he took the form of God and said, I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to set my power and my authority and my supernaturalness aside, and I'm going to come down and I'm going to be like humans? There's power in that. Then he said he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. If you look in the original language, the word grasped simply grasped, sorry, simply means that you would go and it was such a powerful deal that you were willing to steal it so that you could hold on to it. It's kind of like a robbery. So he didn't think that being equal with God and staying in heaven was worth stealing it from God because he knew that God demanded that he come here and set away for us. It's called salvation through the cross. So he goes and he, he has the form of God. He doesn't want to hang on to it. So then it says in verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. The word there literally means slave. 
My little boy Leo last night said, Dad, I know what a slave is. And I said, really, what is a slave? He goes, it's somebody that does what somebody else says whenever they say to do it, kind of like you do me. So he emptied his holiness, he emptied his, uh, his godliness, he emptied his, his royalty, the deity of who he was, and he came and was those things in the form of man. Now this is traditionally in, in traditional church, uh, those of you that came from a traditional church, this is the Sunday before Advent. And, and Advent simply means the, the expectance of someone important. So in the church calendar, the next four Sundays, uh, uh, high church, they will celebrate Advent and they'll light candles. Anybody do that? I'm telling you, I learned all this in the military. I thought it was really cool, actually. They light candles. This would be Christ the King Sunday. Now, I didn't plan that, but it is what it is. And it's simply a day where the church celebrates the awesomeness of Christ so that we can look to his birth and realize it's not about presence and it's not about what all he's going to do for us. It's about the awesomeness of who he is and the redemption of mankind, not necessarily what we get out of it, although we get a lot. It's Christ the King Sunday. So here in this, in this passage... Paul is writing that, that he's just reciting a song. He's saying that he emptied himself by taking the form of servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself. Anybody ever been humbled? Yeah, me too. Six kids, I get humbled quite a bit. Gianna was, was, past tense, near perfect when she was a little kid. I said past tense, folks. She's good today, too. But there were really no problems. People were like, how is she so quiet? Why does she just sit over here? At two years old, really at 18 months, she could sing the whole Auburn fight song. Yep. She could carry on conversation. She was the church baby. And then five years later, we had these other things called children. And uh, we thought they were going to be perfect, too. And one was always crying or pooping or peeing or something. They were twins. And we became humbled. Sitting in a restaurant, we thought our kids were going to be perfect. And when they start throwing apples across the table, those are her kids. <laughs> there was this particular time uh, when I was at airborne school. Anybody, Army, go to airborne school? Awesome. When I was at airborne school, you'll appreciate this, I hope. I was at airborne school, and, and they made me the chaplain, the chalk leader of this chalk which is basically a group that's going to jump together out of the airplane. Uh, they made me the chalk leader of this chalk, and, and everybody in the chalk were brand new privates in the Army, so just 18-year-old kids, and here I am, and they think that you know I could be their dad, and I'm like, I'm not that old. I'm way older than you, but I'm not that old. So we've done pizza party, and we've tried to talk to them about what it's going to be like when you get to your unit, and who can you talk to, and we talked about confidentiality with a chaplain, and some of them had spiritual things they wanted to talk about. So I had a relationship with these kids over the three weeks that we were doing training, and then it comes jump week, remember jump week? And, and we're going up, and this particular day we're going to jump out of a C-17, which is a, a larger uh, jet, has a platform that you jump off of, and, and uh, it, it, it's scary, folks. 
And there's this system in the, in the airplane that has a red light and a green light, and the jump master will tell you, stand up, hook up, all these things. You've probably heard the little songs if you've watched any movies. And, and then you're going to shuffle over to the door. And I thought shuffling was something cool that they just taught us how to do. It's really the only way you can move when you're completely hooked up with all this gear. So they're telling us you're going to shuffle over to the door. And I realized at that moment that I am not the man that I thought I was. <laughs> I've told... I've told these kids these entire, this entire three weeks, oh, you know, you're going to be fine. Just get out there. When they say go, just jump. Everything will be great. You know, I'm out there barking as if I'm somebody that knows what he's doing. And I get over, and, and it's time to get to the door, and the, the light is red, and, and the jump master calls out, get ready. And a kid leans over. He's a private. I can't remember his name. And he said, chaplain, will you pray for me? And I looked straight in his eyes, and I said, absolutely not. And he said, but why not, chaplain? And I said, brother, you should have got that on the ground. All I'm praying for from here on out is me. <laughs> and so, yeah, I'm the chalk leader, so I'm the first one to go in my little chalk. So we're, we're there, I'm standing in the door, and I'm looking out, and I'm like, this, this is crazy. Like, who, who told me I had to do this, and why am I here? And uh, the green light came on, and, and I knew if I didn't jump, they'd kick me out. So I went ahead and made the leap, and that parachute opened up, and I looked at the majesty of God. But in order to see the majesty of God, there was a realization, a humbling that had to take place on that airplane. I'm not anything. I place myself in your hands, Lord. And to be honest with you, 20-something jumps later, it doesn't get any easier. I stand at that door every time, and I tell people, I'm not praying for you. <laughs> Don't even ask. But I jumped out that first time, the canopy opened, I got to see everything, and I was so amazed at, at just looking out there and the wind blowing, and I didn't have any hair, but the wind blowing in my hair that I didn't have, that I hit the ground before I knew it, and I hit, landed right on my tailbone, and I was like, that hurt. I should have paid attention to what they were telling me to do. But a humbling took place that day. A humbling that said, you know what, I may have been trained, I may think I'm something, I may think that, that uh, this cross on my chest protects me, but I've got to say, Lord, I'm leaving this in your hands. And the power of saying, Lord, I'm leaving this in your hands is that whatever he chooses to do, he does. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here we have Jesus leaving heaven. In his leaving of heaven, he empties himself. He divests his royalty, he divests his deity, and he says, I'm going to come down in human form, I'm going to live the life that these humans are living, and I'm going to show them and give them an example, and he does that in a sinless way. He humbles himself. Can you imagine being able to come down fully God, and choosing, I'm going to go fully man, because he completely understood that if he came down fully God, he'd just be a little G, because that's what all the other stories say. Find me another God that was willing to give up his godliness to come down and be a human. Oh, but Jason, he was still God. Yes, he was still God, but he didn't act on it. Because if he would have acted on it when he was stretched wide on that cross, he would have said, angels, come and get me. When he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he would have said, I don't want to do this. He wouldn't have simply prayed, let this cup pass from me. He would have said, get me out of here, or he'd have left himself. When he was being beaten and bruised, he would have stopped it all. But instead, he willingly suffered and died 
for us. Now think about that for a moment. Because the power in the name of Jesus only comes if God does that with Christ. The power in the name of Jesus only gets us to that point if he's willing to lay it all down to come and be. So how do we live this life that Paul is talking about in the first where we love one another and we have fellowship? We've got to realize the power of the name of Jesus or we're not going to do any of that stuff because when, the, when, the, when it gets tough, we're not going to want it. Oh, but Jason, my life's tough right now. Mine too. That's why I like to call on the power of the name of Jesus. Verse 9 the result of this, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isaiah 45, 23 talked about this. 1 Corinthians talked about this. Romans chapter 14 talked about this. Paul, once again, is giving us this awesome model of calling on the name of Jesus. So what do we do when we have an issue? We call on the name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. What do we do when we have a financial problem or we need him to provide? We call on the name of Jesus. Why? Because that Jesus that we called upon was willing to sacrifice it all to ensure a path was made for us to walk down and say, there is victory in me. When I was a little boy, I sometimes would be scared of the dark. And in being scared of the dark, I would go in and tell my mom, Mom, I'm scared of the dark. Anybody else scared of the dark in the past? You don't have to admit now. <laughs> it's okay if you are. No judging here. And she had told me long ago that the Christ that we serve is one that is real and he's relevant and, and, and he has saved us. And no matter what our problems, if we'll call on him, he'll meet our needs. And I remember one night in particular, I was scared. I, I, I mean, I was scared. Anybody been scared? I was just flat out scared. Heart beating out of my chest. I was probably seven, eight maybe. And my mom came in and she said, Jason, why are, why are you so scared? And I told her. And she said, let, let me just leave you with this. Just say the name Jesus. And as a little boy, I learned this powerful thing because I began to say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you know what? I was all worried about what I was going to pray and how I was going to tell him that I was scared and could he come, but he already knew. And when I said Jesus, all I was doing was opening the door to what Paul was talking about, that every knee, including the demons, will bow. That's why he said under the earth. And fear left my room. Well, that's not a very important story. Well, it served me well in my life. A few years back, I was in Singapore jumping out of a helicopter for some strange reason. I had a parachute on. I jumped out. The landing zone, the drop zone, was the tarmac. And they were like, don't land off the tarmac. We'll shut down the whole operation. I was like, you want me to land on that concrete? And they were like, yes, just land on the concrete. It's soft. I was like, Singaporeans are not 200 pounds and six feet tall. This is going to hurt. So I decided to land off the tarmac in a mud hole. That was dumb. <laughs> but I landed. I walked up. A man handed me a phone, and he said, Jason, uh, the phone's for you. And I said, man, they can find you anywhere. I must be important, U.S. government. person on the other end told me his name. I knew who he was. He said, you've got to come home. Mia is sick. She's, she's dying. She's not going to make it. Because I'm chaplain, I was thinking, Mia who? So I said, Mia who? And he said, your daughter, knucklehead. That's exactly what he said. And so I, I closed the phone, and I went back, and I made the arrangements to fly from Singapore to Tokyo uh, 
first they wanted me to fly from Singapore to Shanghai to Newark to Seattle. I was even smart enough to know that was dumb. But I flew from Singapore to Tokyo to, to uh, Seattle, and at Seattle, the church was there, Pastor. The church was there. They picked me up. They took me to the hospital. I walked into that room, and, and I'm going to tell more of the story today so you won't get bored. Um, I told it the first service, but it was abbreviated because they told me to hurry up. <laughs> they told me, you guys don't eat lunch, so it's not a big deal. They picked me up, took me to the hospital. I walked into the pediatric, pediatric uh, intensive care unit. A nurse stopped me and she said, sir, who are you? I said, I'm here to see Mia Forte. And she said, sir, she is not having any more visitors today. Now, when, when you don't know what's going on and something's going on with your kid, that's not what you want to hear. So I looked at her and apparently my eyes turned red with anger. And a lady from the church, I don't, I don't even know where she came from. And, and how is a church lady in the PICU if they wouldn't let me in the PICU? So it had to be God. She comes around and, and she gets between the nurse and me. And she says, ma'am, this is me as father. We've been waiting on him. And she, she turned around and she said, chaplain, don't say another word. You're going to have to ask forgiveness. <laughs> She said, oh, chaplain, we've, we've been waiting on you. They took me into the PICU, and, and there my little girl, she was four years old, just turned four, was lifeless. She had contracted a staph infection that when you touch her skin, it's called scalded skin syndrome, it turns into a third-degree burn. Took them forever to figure it out, and every time they put a thermometer tape or oxygen, just third-degree burn. No one had ever seen it in that hospital. Doctors knew what it was, but they had been looking in books. And, and so they brought every intern through. It was a teaching hospital. So we only see this in third world countries. We don't know how she got it. They brought her through. Now, we know what happens in the United States, too, or we wouldn't have gotten it. But she was there, and she was lifeless. And they said, we, we don't know what's going to happen. And I remember scooping that lifeless body up. And I remember being scared in my room and my mom saying, if you'll just call in the name of Jesus... And all I could say was, Jesus, Jesus, friend, whatever you got going on today, the name of Jesus is powerful enough. Whatever situation is taking place in your life, whatever loneliness, whatever financial issue, wherever, whether your children have strayed from the Lord, if you are sick in your body, the name of Jesus is enough. I said, Jesus, Jesus, 48 hours later, after the doctors have said, if she survives, her entire body will, be, will peel and she'll be scarred from her head to her toe. 48 hours later, we walked out of that hospital with no scars. You can see her today. She's downstairs. <laughs> Nothing. Was such a testimony to the hospital that my wife took my girls and they made cookies and they went back and they went through the emergency room and every intern that had seen her in that lifeless state walked through and said, what happened? And we were able to say, Jesus, Jesus. When she was recovering there in the hospital before we went home, one of the nurses pulled me aside and said, chaplain, who are you? Well, if you only knew. I said, what do you mean? She said, we've never had so many. She said, do you realize that there were 50 people in the waiting room yesterday and they had a potluck? <laughs> I said, ma'am, you must not be a Pentecostal. 
But you know what it said to her? The same Jesus that healed my daughter was the same Jesus that had people love us enough to take care of us in that moment. Jesus. We lived in Auburn, Alabama. I'm just going to testify for a little bit. We lived in Auburn, Alabama. We were thinking about coming into the military. Chris was graduating from Auburn University. The week she was walking across the stage, uh, we went to the doctor. She was pregnant with twins. The doctor simply said, your babies are dead. That's exactly what the doctor said. Um, we were devastated. But Chris walked across the stage, had procedure. She went to uh, the beach, and I went to general counsel in Indianapolis. Came home from the beach, came home from general counsel, and I, I realized, oh, I, I need to be grieving. My wife is, is grieving. I need to be grieving. And it hit me all at once. And I remember laying on my bed and just crying out to God. I'm a twin, Lord. You promised us twins. Why did you take these twins from us? Please don't act like you haven't ever questioned God. And I was the pastor. <laughs> a knock on the door came. It was Peter Kanye from, he was from Kenya. He was a student in our church. Peter was a very spiritual person. In fact, every Sunday, uh, I would get there at 5.30 a.m. to open our doors. Our first service was at 8 and every Sunday, he had been there 30 minutes. I don't know how he got in. I never gave him a key. <laughs> but at 5 a.m. on Sunday morning, you could walk in, and Peter would be laid out on the floor praying in the Spirit for the service that day. So he came to the door, and I knew he was a man of God. He also told me he was going to marry uh, Charnita Davis. And I said, Peter, she's the most beautiful girl in, in the church. She, has, she doesn't want anything to do with you. A year later, I was the best man in their wedding. <laughs> She doesn't even know your name, Peter. He was like, no, the Lord has told me. <laughs> he married her. But he knocked on our door and he said, Pastor Jason. That's my Kenyan accent. Oh, you don't like my Arkansas accent? <laughs> the Lord has told me that he will replace what you've lost twofold. Three months later, we're in Springfield, Missouri, suffering. I, literally, I don't even know how we paid our bills, Pastor. I do not know how we paid our bills, but they all got paid. Jesus. And Chris came in one day and she said, I don't feel good. And I was like, you don't feel good, so you're either sick or you might be going to have a baby. And she's like, it's not that, I'm just sick, so why don't you go to the doctor? They did the test. They go, oh, yeah, you're going to have a baby. So she comes home and like, Chris, we're in seminary. I don't have a job. We don't have insurance. There's no money. We don't even know how we're eating, and you're going to have a baby? What are you thinking? <laughs> You do know what causes that, right? <laughs> so we end up going to the doctor. There's the ultrasound. They do the ultrasound tech is out there. Oh, baby A. Baby A, I've heard this before. And baby B. And we're like, what? Twins? And we're all excited. Chris has the twins. Join the army. Life goes on. We have Leo. Life goes on. We're done having kids. We're moving to Fort Polk, Louisiana. And Chris says, I don't feel good. And I was like, go to the doctor. <laughs> Been through this before. I decide I've been through this enough that I don't need to go again, and I don't need to go to the ultrasound, so I don't go to the ultrasound. And she goes, and I find out the kids are stuck at the bus stop because she didn't pick them up, and I'm thinking, what is she doing? What, she knows she has to pick up the kids at the bus stop. I'm supposed to be working. I should be over here doing this because I'm, I'm going to get the kids to the bus stop. So I go. She's at the bus stop. So I get in the car. Why are you not answering your phone? You know you're supposed to, you know, things that some men do. <laughs> not all. And she reaches back and she hands me the ultrasound picture. As soon as I saw the A and B. 
My immediate reaction was, oh, God, not again. <laughs> but honestly, when I saw the A and B, you know what came to my mind? The Lord will replace that which you've lost twofold. Now, up until that point, I didn't know what twofold meant. <laughs> Arkansas math. <laughs> you know, that was a trying, trying pregnancy. But every week when we went to the, to the doctor's office down south Louisiana, we had to drive over an hour because the hospital at Fort Polk couldn't handle it. They said, bring a bag. You're probably going to have in utero surgery. These babies are not doing well. Every week on the way down, Chris would say, I'm worried. And I would say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. She carried those babies full term. The doctor finally said, we, we've, we've got to, you've got to have these kids. Like, you can't keep them in there. <laughs> they came out. First thing I did was get on my knees, and I said, thank you for the power in your name. What is Paul saying here today? He's saying that as a church, we've got to be in one mind. We've got to treat each other a certain way. But times are getting tough. And as times get tough, you've got to remember the name of Jesus. He said that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. Every sickness, every disease, every infirmity, every affliction, every addiction can bow at the name of Jesus. And so today as our altar workers are coming and our worship team is coming, all I simply want uh, to understand myself and to convey to you is that no matter what you're going through, the name of Jesus is strong enough. Maybe you're having that Singapore moment where you don't know what to do medically. The name of Jesus is strong enough. Maybe you're having that moment where Christ promised you something and it hasn't been fulfilled. The name of Jesus is powerful enough. Maybe your finances are faltering uh, like mine were in seminary simply because I didn't have a job. Can I tell you that Jehovah Jireh, the name of Jesus, can provide for you? Maybe you have a child that's, that's not living for the Lord. The name of Jesus can provide for you. Maybe you're facing situations and circumstances that you've not told anyone about. The name of Jesus is all you need. So here's the question today, if you're sitting here and you say, I, I got a situation, I need to call on the name of Jesus, would you lift your hand? Yeah, they're everywhere. These people here and myself, I'm going to come down there. We're here to pray with you and to believe with you in the name of Jesus. So we invite you to come and receive prayer.